0: Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for uh, gathering us together here. Father, we are obeying your call when we come together. And it's not like we are just, this isn't a social organization. But, Father, this is a uh, a, um, miraculous body of people who have a common father. We are a common family. Uh, We have the same blood. We have strong friendship forged in the blood of Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Lord, for causing us to assemble together that we might hear your word. Speak to us, Father, from your from Your throne where we can find mercy, grace to help us, everything we need in a time of need. And we thank you and honor you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So, um well as I said, we're gonna talk about the sanctuary of God. Alicia, I'm so sorry, I forgot you had asked me for the title earlier. But now you got it. Hey <laughs> sorry about that. I I got involved in something else. I'm always involved in something, you know, it's I'm always diddling around and getting involved sticking my nose in and so forth and so on praise god if it weren't for nosy older sisters moses wouldn't be alive hey that'll preach all day long anybody got a nosy older sister that's a gift from god whether you know it or not she's been keeping you alive whether you realize it or not amen so praise god some things are just good Amen, praise God, so uh anyway, <laughs> praise God, so anyway, we're talking about the sanctuary of God, the concept of a sanctuary is uh um it's a defensive place and an offensive place. so when you talk about sanctuary, you talk you think about refuge, you think about there must be enemies out there somewhere. Because a sanctuary is a place that's safe to come, and you can shut the door to that sanctuary, and you can relax there, and you can abide there in safety, comfort, and protection. A sanctuary is a place where there's provision. There's no lack. Uh, sanctuaries are guarded uh, strongly. Uh, by whoever has set up the sanctuary and there are certain rules that that the sanctuary functions under for instance in in some countries um, uh, Christian churches are recognized as sanctuaries, uh, especially the Catholic Church and where they have agreed to give refuge to people in certain circumstances and so, to violate that and go in and apprehend somebody is a violation of their rules and their code. And so the concept of the sanctuary is a safe place for people. It, it, it really derives from the Hebrew a city of refuge. Uh, a sanctuary is a refuge also, whereas uh, there uh, were certain cities where priests were set up, where there was a functioning a temple and there was a functioning priesthood that were designated as um, uh, cities of refuge by God, and they governed they were governed by certain rules. For instance, if you accidentally killed someone, you could leave and go to a city of refuge and if you got there, you were allowed to stay there. Until the priest died. You didn't have a trial. Nobody. There was no. You know. Family member to come and apprehend you. They would have avengers. What the people would call avengers of blood. Who would run after and find guilty people. If those people found you. You were pretty much determined to be guilty. Come on now. If this was set up by God. And he set up the rules. They're perfect. So he says you can go run. For instance, Sheree, if if you hit somebody over the head and you took off in your car and they said Akron is a city of refuge, once you get in Akron City limits, nobody could ever come there and get you and try you for that because you were deemed by God to be innocent of, of, of shedding innocent blood. Not guilty of shedding innocent blood. If you got a flat somewhere on the highway and you didn't call Pastor Shirley for a toe or whatever y'all was using up her card for. Don't let nobody know you got no uh uh what you call it, roadside service. Huh? <laughs> oh, me. Anyway, you couldn't get nobody to get you a toe and get you started again so you can make it to Akron. And they caught up with you and apprehended you, you're considered really to be guilty. Unless you could find a witness or somebody else that could say that, 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 you know, could really testify on your behalf, testify true. And so God set these rules up. You stayed, you, you were free until the priest died. So what you, what people would generally do, uh, uh, if you want to keep a priest alive, what do you do? Take some offerings, take some sack, or you, you'd learn how to be a good girl or a good boy. Cause if this joker dies, I get turned into some, you know, whatever. So you learned how to obey God's laws while you were there. I mean, there's a purpose to everything God does, when you think about it. But, but that city of refuge became a sanctuary where people could not be um, judged by any other law, Uh, because God's law is the highest law, but also it's a place where God's rule abides, where his way of living is established, where his uh, um, disciplinary system is established, all of that is done in the safety and security of the sanctuary. And so when, when God established this, he wanted to establish the place for people to come and and he could have time with them so that they could be taught his ways. They could be trained to keep his His sanctuary life going uh, from generation to generation. There was always a system set up for this thing to, to last throughout eternity. And so it's an eternally established concept uh, in God, and it is meant to bring people out of solitary isolation, selfishness, and, and self-concern and bring them into family again because God is a family. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the concept of family is all throughout God's creation. And so he, he, or either, if, if that weren't true, uh, trees and animals could reproduce by themselves. And you can go off and live by yourself, but he puts you to, he puts you dependent on one another just for normal function in life and, and perpetuation of life. And so the concept of family is very much throughout God's creation. So the Bible says he puts solitary people into families. Amen. So solitary really means to be in isolation, to withdraw, to be separate. It also means harsh, bleak, or barren, only alone or desolate, similar to the earth. When it opens up, when Genesis 1 opens up, the earth was without form and void. And and it's that kind of barren or bleak place. So what do you see God doing? He goes about changing that immediately. He starts putting things in place in that form and, and without form and void situation. He begins to set creation in motion in there. It's like he doesn't like anything to be without life and order and and a uh, uh, flourishing success thriving reproducing uh, creativity all of that stuff. He he sets that in place where he sees something by itself alone without protection without uh, companionship without counsel. Um, it, it, even when he created the man, in instead at uh, first. Uh, ahead of the woman when the man he let the man try and function by himself. Why would he do that? He know he's gonna bring no ball and chain forth anyway. Why not just have all of that? Huh? Why not just create them both at the same time? All these equality people. Huh? Well, if he had created him separate from her, where's the connection? Oh, God does stuff for a purpose. He let that man stumble around there, couldn't find his socks, couldn't find his pajamas, couldn't feed himself. You know, all she do is come and look at him. There's a tree right there. What's your problem? But anyway, but no, he, he he creates us in relationship. He creates us dependent upon one another. So he allowed the man to live by himself for a while, and then they both decided it ain't good for this brother to be over here by himself. He ain't going to make it. Oh, brother, somebody laugh. I don't care what. Listen, it's, it's raining too much for me to go to the Y. I ain't going out there. Y'all gonna shape up and receive this word. Now if you can't laugh, you can say, oh me, ouch, your summer. I ain't got that far in my Bible. First book, first three chapters. You ain't got that far yet. I don't care. Say something. Thank you, Nikki. Oh man. What you think, Poppy? You think there's somebody in trouble? That's okay, you don't have to say nothing. But, uh, he created a need in the man for the woman. That's why they chase y'all if y'all quit chasing them. Yeah, yeah, free. Yeah. You won't get rough, I get rough. <laughs> huh? Am I right, Minister Tina? They supposed to look for you. And you tell them I said they. What <laughs> you mean you ain't looking for me? You're supposed to be looking for me. You know, I mean, it's a little Bible teaching on, am I right, Poppy? And I'm teaching the Bible? You can teach your man the Bible? Huh? What you mean you don't want no wife? You're supposed to want a wife. And then they go scratch their head and think about it for me. I think I do want me a wife. I thought so, Goober. Anywho, let us get to the word. But he created them out of need. I don't need nobody. know you don't, little liar. You don't have no idea who you are yet. Tell me what you don't need. okay so and then to now god knows spiritually they do have a need for one another because he allowed the man to discover that see once you show somebody something it gets imprinted in them the things that god did with adam were to teach him how to live for God, how to be obedient to God, how to manage life. And God made sure that man could form a covenant with the woman so that there would be a sanctuary family where the children would be secure and where they would grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and the family would continue. Amen. The bloodline would continue. So God establishes relationship by his wisdom. And what he figured out was that if I allow the man to see that he is incomplete without the woman, then that relationship will continue. And it has. The devil's tried to destroy it over and over and over. In a modern society in this day and age we don't do the yeah 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 people are no different we want the same things we just let it get twisted and perverted and say it doesn't work but that still don't stop you from wanting it and wanting it to work and on top of creating the need of of the the uh, man for the woman He creates the woman for the man. So he puts the man to sleep. Poppy say ouch. I guess right. (laughs) And does surgery on him. Huh? The first bone marrow transplant. Amen. That's why you can't beat God for giving people wisdom and knowledge. Look how many years it took them to find out that there was life in bone marrow, because that's the the origin. But, you know, it takes a lot of experimenting and a lot of centuries of trial and error and all that kind of stuff, creating instruments, microscopes, all that stuff, chemicals to analyze stuff, diffuse stuff, take stuff out of it, put stuff in it, and all that takes us centuries to catch up with simple Concepts that God already spelled out in his word. But so that there could be an unbreakable blood kinship between them, he takes the bone out of the man and from that creates the woman. DNA, amen, blood transfer, so that there's a kinship there that cannot be broken. Every time you get around somebody of the same blood, you you have a kinship. You know, if you have cousins or you've never met them before, have a family reunion. Nobody's had a family reunion. We had a family reunion. And I got there, and them people just look just like me. And you get along with them. You know, you you have kinship and fellowship with them. That's what blood's supposed to do. Greater than that is the blood of Jesus. That draws God's people together. Amen? So whenever like my mother's my, my mother, Little Cherokee people, you know, they had some got kind of weird sayings they There was uh whose baby was that? I think it was Kim Elders girl, Kira. Well she looked just she like my mother did when my mother was a baby. They had red hair. They were red. You know, that red side of the family, whatever that means. I don't know what that means. My mother would look at her, she'd smile and say, I smell the blood. What's a Cherokee saying, you know, I smell the blood. And I'm thinking, uh. <laughs> you know, you back out slowly because <laughs> you're about to find out something y'all want to know about. But, but that was their way of saying, I feel a kinship. You know, I, and it's a deep kinship. It's not just them facial features, because, you know, they change after a while. Some babies, when they come, you don't look like nobody, you know. <laughs> and then later on, you see, you stare real hard. You say, well, I think they do kind of feel. You know, with her, it was deeper than that. You understand what I'm saying? And and so there are ways, I think, of of identifying. No, I think that was Kim. Yeah, that had to have be been Kim. It wasn't her daughter. But but anyway, one of, one of the babies they brought over, that was what she said. And because there was a family, there were red people in her family. She wasn't the only one. You understand what I'm saying? And so, uh, but uh but anyway, that's one level of blood kinship. What God starts to do is form out of all human beings one family. In the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what God's always wanted ever since the fall of man in the garden. God has wanted all of his kids back in, in his possession, working out the life he has planned for us, doing the things he wants us to do. And the concept of, sa- excuse me, sanctuary kind of flows throughout that to maintain the family unity, to maintain the family health and all of that. The Garden of Eden was the first sanctuary. God placed the man and the woman in the garden, even though the whole earth was out there. Why did he just stick them in the garden? Because that was the first sanctuary where there was provision. He could meet with them continually. The Bible says he walked with Adam in the cool of the, in the garden in the cool of the evening. And what did they do? They discussed the rules of life. They discuss God's plan for Adam and Eve. That's what the sanctuary is for. It's a separate place where God has chosen to meet with his people so that he can have his way. God runs the sanctuary. God sets up rules for the sanctuary. God determines the type of life we're to use to live. And in in that sanctuary atmosphere, it's a place that's safe for God where he controls the atmosphere so that he can meet with us and impart his self, himself to us, his breath, his life, his thoughts, his words, his understanding, all of the things that we, we get as a called out, separated people God intends for that to continue even unto now through sanctuary life. So a sanctuary was a place that was set apart where God was in charge. He determined where the sanctuary was, what was done there. He set apart rules for that. In every sanctuary, there's an altar where uh, uh, blood is, is spilled to cleanse it sacrifice had to be made so it's a place that has a holy atmosphere a god created holy atmosphere god god sets up rules that are unchangeable that are laws for holiness so they don't change like holiness is not uh, uh turtlenecks one day and cleavage the next and you understand what I'm saying? You call yourself holy. You understand what I'm saying? It just, just ain't right. You know, religious people are funny. Now they'll, they'll put on certain clothes for church and then wear certain other clothes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, suppose you get that mixed up. <laughs> I'm just saying. God requires a holy place to meet with people. He requires a holy place to meet with people. What does that mean? That means that there are certain laws that maintain a certain atmosphere, number one, where God is comfortable, where he's welcome, where he's in charge. We don't create churches based on what we think people want. You ever see churches ministries like that well well you know people don't like this and people don't like that and people only want this and people are the, well, what does god want does he have anything to do with what y'all do around here so it has to be a place that god he controls things he tells you what to set up where how to Make sure you have an altar where he can meet with people and meet the needs of people. We got places that full of Christians that don't have no altar. Oh, yeah, I said it. You know how I know? Because they don't have an altar call. Oh, yes, that obvious. You ever see a sanctuary in the Bible that don't have an altar? <laughs> in the first church, their altar was so strict and so hot, somebody lied about their offering and dropped dead. Then the wife came in, late to church, oh, my goodness, at the hairdresser. Well, she didn't, my nails were still wet. I couldn't come wish you had (laughs) get them nails done through the week of course they had church every day but still get it done on a different time co-sign that lie and drop dead too (laughs) so yeah god has a holy place where he wants his people to meet you understand what i'm saying What do we mean by holiness? Well, in the Old Covenant, it was an animal that was sacrificed in a priesthood that had to wash themselves and make themselves clean for the ceremony. And they were the only ones allowed to minister at the altar of God. You didn't have Pastor Mike night. You didn't have amateur preacher night. You didn't have, well, God gave me a word for this congregation. Really? How is that? You find out people don't even have any breeding, any, I shouldn't say that, but you know what I'm saying. No manners, no sense of who they are trying to represent what god would say if he sent a message to you you understand what i'm saying brother Hagen would have him write it write them words down they'd write them down and he'd let people just come up and take the mic i don't either but you ain't, ain't nothing that important you know you might yell fire in a crowded room or something you know people i mean people have all kind of ideas of why they're here and how important they are you know, the devil sit up, if he told himself he was bigger than God, what do you think he's going to tell people? Something very similar. Amen. But anybody who's in the spirit can can discern if the spirit of prophecy is on somebody or not. If you discern it's not on them, they don't have nothing to say. Or the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. They can wait until the service is over and tell somebody something. You don't have to interrupt the service. If we need to hear a word, God will tell the person in charge that somebody does have a word. You know, that happens. Gee, what's up with that? So anyway, they're, they're, the priest, because the priest was was called by God and sanctioned by God, trained by God, when it was time for him to go into service in the uh, in the sanctuary, that, that race of people or that tribe of people was they already had people in place to meet all of those needs. So God had ordained people, men, to do his work. If you're not ordained, you ain't doing nothing. Amen. But I tell you what believers are ordained to do. They're ordained to bring life to a dying world amen you just don't get a pulpit to do it in all the time you can do a lot of work out on the streets without a pulpit in fact preachers do a lot that's how they get churches started as they go out and find people that need the lord so the sanctuary is a sacred place where god's business is done whatever he wants to uh impart to his people whatever he wants to teach his people However he wants to bless people is done in the sanctuary. Amen. Psalm 20 verse 2, the psalmist says, send help from the sanctuary. Send holy help, powerful help. Amen. So the sanctuary is also a place of safety. It's a place of, of, uh, where God's in control. It's a holy place and it's also a place of power. Amen. God wants his power imparted to his people amen he he wants it so that everybody has a place everybody has a role everybody has a a function because we're all gifted and called to fit into god's body and the place where that starts is the sanctuary amen and a sanctuary can be a, a building, it can be somebody's living room, it can be somebody's whatever. You understand what I'm saying? Because we all are indwelt by the Spirit of God, amen? But God's system is his priesthood. So you're not in, in now you may have a, a nice little Bible study or a nice little home group or something like that if you feel like God wants you to do that. But but God's ordained place for all believers is under the fivefold, under their authority. That's the, the flow of authority of the church. Amen. It flows from the head who is Christ Jesus. The Bible says the government will be on his what? And that's the fivefold. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. New Testament churches. Are ordained and begun by apostles and prophets, not by pastors. Pastors derive their position and authority from apostolic and prophetic anointing. Amen? It's hard to work at the re- reverse. You know, it's just, it's just not proper church government. What we've had in, traditionally in many churches are a lot of pastors without governments over them. You understand what I'm saying? What they have is organizations over them, but they don't have apostolic and prophetic government. Amen? And so once you understand that and you know the difference, it's hard to function in a place that doesn't have that structure and that authority. It really, really is. As I've seen people that leave here, I'm going to they never go anywhere. They might go a little bit. Or drop in and out but really they're not under any kind of government i think they go places where they can not be there when they want to that don't have accountability that don't have growth that don't have a vision for you being more than what you are you know um, more than a pew sitter and give when you're there don't give when you're not you know the whole yard. some people just don't see the benefit to having spiritual accountability. But I can tell you the difference is like night and day. Because for every person that's on Facebook asking for prayer, there's something wrong there that they either don't have accountability where they are, they don't have power where they are, they don't have proper teaching where they are. And I bet I see none of y'all on there big and nobody <laughs> Because you can pray for yourself. you understand what I'm saying. You've been taught and you understand and you're not desperate for anybody to help you. you understand that's not how prayer works. God's already ordained. you're in a safe place. you're in a place where God has ordained, you know proper teaching, proper proper feeding, proper leadership, proper whatever you need. If you don't eat anything, just go sit down. <laughs> go sit yourself down. Whatever. You understand what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, people sometimes they get need withdrawal. When I was a newer Christian, I was so, I answered every altar call, everywhere, every time, everything, every, 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 every. Then when I kind of got stable, I kind of had need withdrawal. I sit there and say, You mean nothing? nothing. I, God, come on now, God, push me up there. I, I got to need something. You understand what I'm saying? And so uh, that's a that's a good thing, though. But it's a good thing to get to the point where you have, uh, have learned and you have somewhat of a sufficiency before God, where everything's not pressing, where your faith is developed, where even if you do have some habits you can't conquer yet, you know they're going to leave because God's gotten rid of everything else. So you're not pressing. You understand what I'm saying? And so the sanctuary becomes a safe place for us to present needs that we have and know that they will be met. Amen? We know those needs will be met. So God's business is done. God's rules are established. Um, uh. <clears throat> Psalm 68, 24, I wanted to share that about some of the characteristics of sanctuary. Psalm 68, 24. Yeah. They have, they have seen thy goings, O God, even the goings of my God, my king, in the sanctuary. See, this is where God's order is followed. Where he said they have seen your goings. They know who you are. They know your rules. How do they know that? They spent time in the sanctuary where God has full control over what goes on, what's said, what's taught, how people respond, what's believed. And so it was because of that set-apart place that people could go in without any distractions from the world, without any um, uh, interference from the enemy because God set the atmosphere in the sanctuary he provides a holy atmosphere in the sanctuary it's up to the leader to understand how to hear from God to maintain that atmosphere so that when people come in they can sense a peace they can sense a an excitement sometimes they can they can see They can experience what God is like because there's no other place where he has as much control over the life of his people than in the sanctuary. He decides the worship. He decides what kind of atmosphere is created here. You know, there there are times when well, people, if you don't have live a live band, is say, oh, oh, what kind of church is that? y'all? Where's the worship? Y'all should least have worship. Where the choir at? I like singing in the choir. Yeah. Satan, you, I know you like the choir. He was the music director up there. But people are so manipulated by music. You understand what I'm saying? They're um, controlled. They're um, infused with, you know, some of the stuff that's the words that are sung, not even scriptural. You know, they don't bring much life into the atmosphere. And, and so it's very easy for that to get away from, say, a weak leader. You know uh, like a pastor sees oh people like the music they come in, in here and yeah and they will never correct the worship leader choir director they get to do what they want to do come in when they want want money more money more money see what i'm saying because that's a known way to get certain people to come is through the music and so if god's not in control of your atmosphere You ever wonder what, you you, you remember when they they would have the devotions before, you know, and this is typical in Baptist church, where there was a cappella. And if you sat there and nobody felt the spirit touching them to start the song, they waited until the Holy Ghost touched somebody. And they would start off a cappella with no music, in the presence of God would be so strong and so sweet, and then when the choir comes in, it just shoot Please, see that was the right time to get your healing, to testify and encourage other people, and so forth and so on. You know, God creates those atmospheres. You know, it's, don't don't look down your nose at people because they ain't hopping and jumping, got the latest. Hosanna music and all that kind of stuff. You know, God creates the atmosphere in the sanctuary. And He knows it's the people that are there, assembled there will respond to. He will help them respond to Him through the music. And so God creates that atmosphere. He is, He should be in control of everything from beginning to end. You know, people had a favorite songs. I realize that. But a lot of that's your soul responding and your your emotions not really your spirit but but if you are a true worshiper then you respond to things that that engage your spirit and that's what god wants he wants people to worship him in spirit and in truth and respond from by the spirit psalm 73 flip over there verse one says give the king your judgments O god and your righteousness unto the king's son so that's where the sanctuary is also a place of understanding. God wants people to understand him, first and foremost. So when we come together, we should talk more about God and his His word and, and his ways and his laws than we do about anything else. Amen. And so this is a prayer that the psalmist prayed. For sound judgment to come in every area of the life of the people of God. The king also worshipped in the sanctuary. Everybody. It was for the whole congregation. Amen. Psalm 96.6 says strength and beauty are in your sanctuary. In other words, a sanctuary isn't a place where people can just sit and gossip all day long, play on their phone, pretend they're not here. You understand what I'm saying? It's a place God will invade your little, you know, three bars you're trying to hold on to on your charge and all that kind of stuff. He's thinking about you and your... He's thinking about trying to get you to the place where the devil don't beat you up at will. Or get you to the place where you get enough discipline of God inside your life to attain some of the things that your heart longs for. Amen? It's a place where he takes us aside in in I call it intensive care, where he can intensify. Huh? And see, we'll leave here, kind of spent the day halfway paying attention, halfway distracted, halfway thinking about what we gotta do next. Instead of and see the Israelite, this was all they had. Because they had the, the, the Bible was on scrolls and tablets, and it was read to the people. And the people had to say yes and amen and try to hold on to that until they got back for some more. Every seven days. And so we have a luxury here where we can seclude ourselves in with God, with his understanding, with his knowledge, and with his power. You know, I'm not a stickler for you know a dress code or anything like that, but sometimes you do need one because we don't all think the same way about. You. you understand what I'm? We just really don't. A sanctuary is a, a a holy place with no distractions. You know, if you got men and women in the congregation, some woman's going to come in her Saturday night special dress and want to tiptoe up to the front with her stilettos and all that kind of stuff and just prop herself you know where everybody come on that's a distraction i mean i'm all for looking nice but keep it holy you know the bible talks about modest dress well i don't care if you don't say amen but it's true anyway you know i had to stop some women from wearing them cut off holes in the jeans jeans are enough you know that's enough casual they got jeans and you know the meat hanging out and these men how you think a man is going to keep his mind on god in the bible and you let women come in here dressed like that so i take them aside and explain to them and some of them still have an attitude against me i don't care What kind of pastor would I be to let that go on? And then the the families come in, they trust that this is a sanctuary, it's a safe place where at least my kids and my boys got to see that Monday through Friday at school. Woo, let's come in church and relax so they don't have to look at that. And then somebody else brought it into church. No, we're not going there, amen? Not going there halter to tops cleavage all kind of crazy stuff you know it's this is a holy place holy dress modest dress is that hard to figure out so what do we see in the sanctuary we see the power and the glory of god once you get people's attention 100 percent on god he will show up and do mighty things It's about keeping the focus on him and the distractions out of the way. You understand what I'm saying? If we can go there and and create a place like that, you could change, number one, yourself drastically and then change the world. If we're going to be agents of change, we have to be changed first. Amen. And so once God has enough time with us in the sanctuary to change us, let him be the focus let him be the one that's front and center let him be the one that we are we are here for we're here for you god we're here for your whatever you want to do but number one we're here to worship you amen so the sanctuary we say the first one was a garden of eden then god's people kind of got you know, estranged from him, and he had to call him back together again. He's always been calling us back to himself. The next time we see this is in uh, Egypt where, the, okay, so the Israelites got scattered first by famine, and they were taken down to Egypt to survive when Joseph was working for Pharaoh. So here we have 450 years later, They've been reduced to slavery in Egypt, but at least in Goshen, they used to have an opportunity to have some time to worship God, but now Goshen looks like it's kind of been invaded by the Egyptians. It's not like a secure place like it was when Joseph had it. Now, how do we know that? Well, when the Israelites left Egypt, they took Part of the Passover and gave it to neighbors. And when they got over to the wilderness, the Bible describes a mixed multitude of people. So they weren't all Jews. So they had kind of interspersed and intermingled with the Egyptians anyway. And God said, I want my people out of there. I got things for them to do. I got stuff for them that they don't know about. Now they've seen wonders, signs, and miracles. But he says, I have a higher life for them. I have a life set apart for them. I don't want to just come in and do an emergency miracle when they need one. But I want them to live supernaturally, learn about me, learn my rules, learn what kind of God I am. I'm not the same God as those Egyptians worship. So I need a sanctuary. Can God go in and talk to people just himself? No, he wants to say that's not his system. For all the people that like staying at home and prescribing their own <laughs> what they need, you know, channel surfing on Christian television, sending away for somebody's tapes or something, you know, that kind of living—that was that's Egyptian life. God pulls people out of that. He says, "I got something much better for you." He said, but I'm going to have to teach you about me first. People like being off by themselves because they don't know anything about God. When I say off by themselves, I'm not talking about living alone, because some of us do have to do that. Amen? But I'm talking about no connection to the family of God. No secure place where you can go and learn the ways of God. No place where you can sit there and ponder what what word is preached, and, and look in your Bible and make sure it's of God and make sure you understand it and make sure that it's going to prosper you in your life. You need to have an opportunity to do all of those things. Not just grab a little something and, and, and memorize it for a minute and go off and live the way you've been living. we got enough of that. This life is supposed to change us, folks, and I mean every day. Every day God has some, some revelation, some understanding, some, something He wants to employ you in, something. It's gotta be a life-changing experience. That's what the, that intensive care in the sanctuary, that intense understanding of God, that deeper revelation of Him, something that's gonna open a brand new door in your life. Amen? That's what He wants to provide for us. So we can get to know who we are. We can see ourselves through God's eyes instead of listening to other people's opinion or listening to what's in your head all the time. Get a whole fresh perspective. You begin to learn you. The more you know about God, the more you know about you. Amen? And it should be that way. So in Exodus chapter 8 and verse 1, Genesis, Exodus. I knew that. (laughs) Oh, eight, 8 verse 1, 1 something. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. So God will put his words in the mouth of one of his servants. Now Moses is called out. He's been nervous and all that kind of stuff. But God's got him settled down enough to where he can can operate for god he allows moses to have aaron as a translator for him into the hebrew language amen he when he said aaron will be your mouthpiece it wasn't because moses stuttered amen there's no evidence in the bible no people would just read and moses was a hebrew but he grew up in egypt he in the bible says he was skilled in the language in the ways of the egyptians so he had to get the egypt out of him but part of that was when moses said when i go to these people they're not going to trust me because they don't know me and i'll know them he said i'll send aaron your brother yeah absolutely aaron was very familiar with his people Amen. And so God will do that. It's like when we don't know the language in a foreign country. He'll get translators for us. They'll stop it. Amen. And so anyway, he said, tell, tell Moses, go tell my people, let me go so they can worship me. Well, how come they couldn't worship him in Egypt? Because he said they couldn't. See, this will stop a lot of people from thinking they cool with God sitting at home. I don't know why I'm stuck on that, but we're just going because I know y'all don't do that, right? You don't even have those thoughts. But there are a lot of people that, that are quarantined, they say. I got news for – God says let my people go. He didn't say quarantine. Even coming to the sanctuary is voluntary. He said, let my people go that they may serve me. See, this cuts Pharaoh to the quick. Because God locates where Pharaoh is. He wants slaves. God said, it made your people. I want them to serve me. What you going to do about it? (laughs) Huh? So God is not afraid to confront the enemy. He's not afraid to confront governments. He's not afraid to confront governors and mayors and police chiefs and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) And he's scared of nobody. And he makes his people fearless as well. So that the people have to understand that they are free to go and worship god in the place of god's choosing so you got a couple problems here you got problems with the ruler who wants the people to remain slaves then you got the problem with the people with the slave mentality and fear of leaving so how you gonna get all this done god You got people that's sitting up there nervous Go like go where? What do you mean worship? Now they haven't really worshipped over four hundred and fifty years. What's that? That's gotta be at least ten generations, something like that. So they don't know worship, they don't know God, they don't know Moses, they don't know nothing. Just like us when we first got saved. We heard about church and we've been in some churches, left running for a good reason most places they're just religious places and but when your heart begins to cry out for god know that he has a place for you where he wants you taught he wants you trained he wants you come and worship there there is a body where you fit in huh that's why the first thing the devil will tell you is people don't like you they don't speak to you then he don't want you to find out you fit in there (laughs) he wants you to think you don't fit nowhere so you can keep listening to him. So God chooses. is a place of God's choosing. He says, and if you refuse to let him go, behold, I'll throw something else on you. Amen. So God just begins to explain to his enemies what's going to happen to them if they try to keep his people in bondage. Amen. That's why some of your little friends don't talk to you no more. And you feel sorry for yourself because they don't, they don't have time for me. He's already told them I'm going to smite you with something. You keep messing around with this child of mine. And I ain't quite sure who they are yet, but I know who they are. And the devil knows who they are. Amen. So he'll separate you. For the purpose of you worship, he wants full control. Full say-so. You're his prized possession. Even though sometimes we don't recognize who we are yet. We think we're dependent on people for our company, for our this, for our that. You're not dependent on anybody. Huh? You can be entertained 24-7. Just you and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Got to try it sometime. Amen? So god chooses the place with pharaoh it was let my people go and he says you know uh six or seven days out in the wilderness far enough away where it's going to be trouble for you trying to come and get them back so that they can worship me now to be honest with you what the egyptians what the hebrews did in their 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 dietary laws and their habits and all that kind of stuff, some of the things that God had set upon them thus far, was an abomination to the Egyptians. So that's like you trying to go and worship God in a Jehovah Witness place. There's too much conflict. So God said, I don't need to share space with the devil. I'm going to pull you out and put you in a place that I choose where I can have control. I can tell you the truth so you don't have to hear the devil's lies, where you don't have to have conflict all the time, where you don't have strife and you're confused and you don't know what to believe. I'll put you in an atmosphere where faith is easy, where it's easy to receive the word. Amen? Where it's easy to understand what I'm saying. I'll put you in a place where you know me and I know you. And so he wants to put us all into a, a a life-giving and life-sustaining family. That's what the body of Christ is. That's why he ordains a place where he can have the freedom to tell you the things that you need personally from week to week. That's what the anointing does. It singles you out for the knowledge that you need for what you are facing from day to day. You know, people, you say, oh, you know, that, that message was just what I needed, just what most people say that, unless they think they don't need anything. Amen. But if you cool, you cool. You know, it was for somebody else. But, but that's, that's how you can tell somebody's anointed and is able. To meet the needs that you have. Now, you might have a girlfriend that has word of knowledge here and there. But she's not the one God put in authority over your life. This is not even close to the same thing. Amen? Not even close. And so we have to understand that you don't get to choose. You don't get to choose. You don't get to choose. You get to hear from God and obey him. Amen, and that's a good thing. That'll keep you. You know, I've heard testimonies over the years. Um, there was a, a minister that told this testimony. He said, "Well, I didn't always, uh, I didn't always pray for the sick." He said, "I, I had, I was doing, uh, I had a church, and you know, not spirit filled, and and he said, uh, and I, there was a lady that had a sick baby or somebody uh, that she brought." up and and he told her he said well ma'am i never prayed for anybody sick and and i don't have the faith for that she said i got the faith you lay your hands on the baby she said she showed him james 5 14 and, and god healed the baby you know and that made him scratch his head he got curious about it amen amen to let god do some more and so this is a an ordained person see god ordered that man of god to stand in that place so don't look at what you think the minister knows. How much knowledge did they go to? Whose Bible school? Ain't been to no Bible school. What kind of Bible? School? Yada yada. Amen. Praise God. So God God adopts us into a holy family. You are a holy person because your sins have been washed away. So the spirit of adoption comes to. Adopt you into the family of God. If God is your father, then who are your brothers and your sisters? Amen. And that's anybody else who believes in God. Remember when Jesus was preaching and his mother and his brothers and sisters were calling for him to come out from where he was. Amen. Family pulling rank. Amen. So. You know, that's going to have to be the first thing you get straight, you know, in your family situation. is This is God's business with me, and i have nothing to do with you, and he'll take care of you. Just hold your horses. And he asked, he said, who are my brothers and sisters, you know? And he looked around at the people who were there listening to the word. In other words, mama, get your Bible and sit up there on the front row and be a good girl. Amen. minister tina say amen yeah that's right amen so (laughs) so he said who are my brothers and my sisters well the family of god your spiritual family oftentimes will have stronger ties with you than your natural family amen and i'm serious because natural relationships are all they always going to be there your your brother and sister cannot ever stop being your brother and sister but the fellowship will vary. If they're not saved, you're not going to have a lot in common. If they're not saved, you're the enemy. Amen. When you get around them, sometimes you just say, I ain't going around them crazy people. They ain't got sense enough yet, you know, to know who I am. I don't want to get in no trouble. I don't want nobody telling nobody off. Uh-huh. And even when they saved, you're going to have some issues, you know. But you know God will work those through. Amen. So you have more assurance sometimes about your spiritual family and being able to work back into peace and fellowship than you will natural family. So you have both of those. So God desires a safe place in which to meet his people for official meetings. These are official meetings of God. Amen. God is everywhere, and he can be found in in a solitary place by you as an individual, but he does have a designated place to congregate and fellowship with his people. Amen. Moses had the first church. It was a wilderness church, but it was a community. Amen. God was free to call them together to gather before him any time he wanted to. Deuteronomy 4, and that'll show you the reason God calls a fellowship together, or calls people together. Oh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, uh, whoopsie, I got it, no I don't, oh. four in verse ten did we say Hold on, let me Okay, yeah. And God says here in Deuteronomy four ten, especially the day that you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, gather me together people. Now, before you can call a meeting of God's people, you have to be called and ordained and anointed and told by God to pull people together. You understand? You just can't feel like you know God and people keep telling you you should be a pastor and all. You can't do that kind of stuff. It's not for you to do. And he says, the Lord said unto me, gather me the people together and I will make them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth and that they may teach their children. So that's the reason for your sanctuary life. That's the reason for the congregation of the Lord. That's the reason for church. That's the reason for, uh, uh, you know, Bible studies that are sanctioned by God. I have to put it that way because there's people think they supposed to do this and do that. They ain't halfway living right and people around them don't have sense enough to know it. You know what I'm saying? Good grief. Why you make the stuff of God so cheap? There's a price to be, but what did Jesus do? He gave everything. Then we think we can just go and hear somebody tickle our ears and tell us we got this and got that and got this gift and that gift and all that kind of stuff. Moses was gifted when God first found him. Huh? he took a stick and threw it on the ground and it turned into a serpent. You have the Holy Ghost in you. You can get a word of knowledge or a dream or something like that from, from God. That don't make you a minister. you got to go through some paces, folks. <laughs> I'm serious. So God will cause us to hear his word. How? By the anointing. That's what makes all the difference in the world. The anointing makes preaching easy. There's a grace that the anointing affords you. The anointing is God's power. It's holy. It sets you apart. To hear from God and to speak on his behalf, to speak his words. All of that happens because of the anointing. And the anointing breaks yokes off of people. I saw there's some pastor I saw on there. I, well, I thought he could, you know, how you blame your your uh, bad grammar on your <laughs> oh, you that's that spell checker thing, or you know, when you blame it on something else besides yourself. Because I, I, you know, he seemed to be a nice gentleman, but I halfway read his stuff. I said, "Oh Lord," oh, yeah. but when I really quit looking at his stuff, <laughs> judge not, let you be judged. Uh, <laughs> he said, we going to break some yokes, Y-O-L-K-S. And he kept saying over it, I said, wait a minute. This brother ain't even read his Bible. Because anybody, if you open your Bible up, you know that ain't what God's talking about. He's talking about breaking some yokes. You don't need an anointing for that. See, y'all see what I mean? That's why you don't go on there begging nobody for prayer. Huh? They even read their Bible. I was totally done. Unfriend. Oh, that's how. I don't cotton to spread ignorance around. So. <laughs> Delete message. Whatever. Oh boy. It's just just too much. Amen. So the purpose to gather people together is so that they will hear his word. Deuteronomy verse 31, I mean chapter 31. We can go there. Verse 12 says it again gather the people together men and women and children and you stranger so here he's expanding the congregation that he calls into the sanctuary that is within my gates that they may hear may learn fear your god observe to do all the words of the law and that their children which have not known anything may hear and learn. See, here he's got two generations. One, he's unlearning and teaching. The other one, he gets a clean slate. See, your children represent the clean slate. They don't know anything. God's law will be the first thing that's imprinted in them. That's why the Bible promises you you train them up. In the way that when they're old, they won't depart. Why? Because that word has a greater foundation in their souls and their minds and their hearts than the nonsense the devil puts in there to draw them off. Amen? And God do it today in Jesus' name. Amen? It's just awesome what God has provided for us. It will let him do it. We let him have his way and let him do what he wants to do. So he has ordained the sanctuary way of life. Just one day a week he called his people together. And look at how he, those people preserved the law. They preserved the priesthood. When they got somebody over them that was backslidden, that's when the priest people generally messed up. When their rulers were the wrong kind of people. Very important that you understand that. He gave his covenant promises to his people through education and through doing. When you did the law, that proved your faith. Same thing now. God enables or evaluates and rewards, but in order to give us the best chance at life, he has ordained that we meet in the in the atmosphere of the sanctuary. So when he has this time with us unhindered, uninterrupted nobody button in, no confusion, then he can get his, his things he wants accomplished in his people. That's so important to understand, you know, because a lot of times we call ourselves busy and sit distracted and everything, and, and, I'm, and I'm telling you, if you stay focused during this time, that would cause you a, a more success in the time when you're away. Let you, you yourself be secluded unto the things of God. At least what do we do, two hours, hour and a half, couple hours, three hours. Only the prophet and the priest were set apart to draw near to God and only on knowledge. The ones who did it, you know, you didn't get an opportunity to say oops to God. You understand what I'm saying? Ooh, my bad. Oh, oh. Really? Oh, I wasn't supposed to do that? No, you got fried right there on the spot. You understand what I'm saying? You know, if you were a priest and you got distracted, you know, you got your arms and legs and you missed a spot, they'd hear them, them bells would stop clinging. they said, say, hmm, old Paul is done for. You understand what I'm saying? So God was serious about things. Amen. We have a great deal of mercy now, folks. You know, great deal of mercy. The knowledge of the ordinances was necessary for the priest to be able to draw near to God. He had to obey the ceremonial washing and sacrifice to sanctify himself for service. The tent of meeting was the original uh, sanctuary with the holy place where the priest met with God and the congregation stood in the outer courts where they could worship God because his his presence was all over the whole place amen his presence permeated the inner the outer and the holiest place of all Um, the later the temple and the tabernacle inside was where they met with god but it was always the same concept there was an altar with blood for the forgiveness of sins wherever he set it up with us now since we are the temple of god we have, the altar is in our hearts where our hearts have been purified by the blood of Jesus and we judge ourselves whether we're doing things that are pleasing to God or not. Afterwards, God begins to dwell in the hearts of men and begins to draw men to himself in their personal sanctuary. You mean I get to take God home? You sure do. You brought him in, you can take him with you. Amen? Amen. So the characteristics of the sanctuary. In Exodus 25, if we go back to there, in verse 8, I think it was. Exodus 25. Miss Alicia, how are we doing? Six. Lord. No, no, don't get me there, girl. These people beat us, strung me up. They be at the wire. They trapped now cause it's raining outside, but they, them eyes will start rolling them, them masks start dropping off and all that stuff. Girl, Papa, I'd know the rules of the road. I'd know that if I don't know nothing else. <laughs> I appreciate your graciousness, but we gonna stay on the clock. Alright. So, uh, 25 verse 8 says, let them make me a sanctuary. That I may dwell among them. God wants to live with us. You don't know yet whether you want Him to live with you, but you'll get the you get the hang of it after a while. Amen. God has purpose in what He does. Purpose of 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 requiring a sanctuary is so we can have relationship through worship. You can't get it under any other way. Worship and prayer, learning from His ministry gifts. Amen. Obedience, lifting up hands in the sanctuary. And in, in, uh, it says here uh, in 8, 25, verse 8, uh, uh let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tab- tabernacle. So there was a, an original in heaven. He always showed his ministers and his architects in the earth the pattern. He showed them visions and dreams of what was in heaven. And they were able to hold on to them to be able to write them out and duplicate them. So they were the priests and the prophets were artists as well. You know how artists don't even have to have a model to draw? Because they're drawing from the image that's within. Amen. It always had a mercy seat and an altar and blood for cleansing and remission of sins. The presence of God was there. There were dress requirements for the priesthood. The garments to wear were righteousness, praise, and worship. So the priest set the example through his, his relationship to God. Somebody who doesn't know how to worship God is not a good leader. They're not a good model for you if, if they're not worshipers. You know, some people come and sit on the stage and look funny and ugly at you and all that kind, never lift a hand bye amen you're supposed to be an example before the people come on now you get a bunch of people sitting down there acting just like you bunch of stiffs exodus uh 28 <clears throat> and then this i thought was nice in the decorating of the altar in the decorating of the temple there were stones there and it says the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel. Twelve tribes and all of the ones according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, everyone with his name shall be, they be according to their twelve tribes. So you're important to God. He knows your name. He knows you're here. He knows he brought you here. He has a plan for you. You know, I think about the people who hopefully are in heaven now that we see their names here in the Bible, in the book of Numbers. He numbered a name. Anybody who thinks people aren't important to God, go read the Bible again. You will see how important they are. When next time you got to wait on God to do something for you, don't sit up there and feel sorry for yourself like he don't know you or he forgot about you. You better get with it. He just ain't doing a whole lot because you probably ain't in the right frame of joint. You know what I'm saying? we are set apart and sanctified people with a purpose he knows your name the fire on the altar never went out the altar of your heart your fire never goes out amen people stop coming to church backslide go back into the world fire still there every now and then God will send a saint by him to make them nervous start it up again I used to know all that. I used to do that. I know what you're talking about. You know the ones I'm talking about because we run into them all the time. It says here, so, so God knows you. The fire of the altar never goes out. His sanctuary is a dwelling place for him to meet with us. So the sanctuary of your heart is where God speaks to you, where he counsels you, where he comforts you, where he talks to you. He speaks to you from that altar. In Isaiah 56, 7, the new purpose of the sanctuary of God is a house of prayer for all people. That's the New Testament sanctuary. Everybody is allowed to go into the house of God. I don't care where you are, what country you're in, what country you came from. Everybody is welcome, and it's a house of prayer. If prayer does not go on, if prayer is not taught, if people are not taught and encouraged to pray, you're missing something. Amen? You're missing a great part of it. God draws us to his sanctuary by his spirit within us. If you only obey his spirit, you will um, uh, you will be drawn to Christian fellowship. It's a must-do. And you'll begin to understand the purpose of your life in God. You understand it through sanctuary life. Through that drawing apart to God with other believers, you'll begin to understand that you're not alone. There are people like you. You're not to compare yourself with others, but to, but to find fellowship. There's a difference. Fellowship is different than rivalry. And it's different than competing and so forth and so on. You don't look at what somebody else has and wish it was yours. Amen. You can be inspired to receive it. Amen. And some people, if you look hard enough, they just go home and can't sleep and wind up giving it to you (laughs) the next time they see you. Amen? Amen. And you begin to understand your purpose in Christian life. God wants control over the way we meet with him, so we must be drawn away. Sanctify ourselves. Attend to his word. You get yourself in a a still and a quiet place. You will have great success in relationship with God, even when you have a busy life. I know, uh, uh, uh I, I can remember women throughout my my life with God. Women would always say, "Well, I'm just too busy, my kids, and this, and this, and this, and this." They say, "You know what? I said, decided if I could only meet God in the bathroom. That's where, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you got them little kids; they'd be banging on the bathroom door. Make them stop." Amen. Tell the Holy Ghost, get him away from that door. Amen. But God will get you a secret place with him because it's so important. Sanctuary life is just so important. God has ordained it so we can have a peaceful life and learn about him. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, for giving us understanding. Thank you, Lord, that we are healed people. We're healed. The sanctuary is our place of healing and it's our place of wholeness. It's our place of completeness. It's our place of comfort. It's our place of love. And we love you, Lord. And we thank you. And, and Father, hopefully people understand a little bit more about why we're called apart, why we're called to be in an assembly of believers, uh, how we can fellowship better one with another because of you and your great love. So, Father, I thank you that you've ordained a safe place for us to come, that we can hear your voice where you are in control, where nothing but what you want goes on, Father. And I honor you and I love you for that, Father, in the name of Jesus. So we'll just declare our declaration. Amen. Repeat after me. I don't have Rona,
1: and she don't have
0: me. I can't get Rona. And she can't get me because of the blood of Jesus and the word of my testimony. It is so decreed and so ordered in Jesus' name. Amen
1: and praise God. Amen. Praise God.